Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community, and I'm standing in today for Kim Tebaldo, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide, online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org, and by telephone at one 1- 888-793-9355. One of the things of which I am most proud is that the cancer support community's dedication to support people with cancer and their loved ones at all points throughout the cancer journey, regardless of cancer type. We don't shy away from tough topics. We face all aspects with directness and compassion, and that includes issues around losing patients to cancer. Today, we're going to talk about life after, after a loved one dies, and we have three very important guests who are going to help us understand grief, bereavement, and life after losing a loved one. When I first heard about Sammy and Dixie Davis's story, I knew I had to bring them on the show. Sammy Davis served in Vietnam and is a Medal of Honor recipient. Sammy's wife, Peggy, passed away from cancer in 2004 after a five-year battle. Sammy is the father of three and a grandfather of nine. Sammy's wife, Dixie, is a retired interior decorator. Dixie's husband, Tim, passed away in 2000, also from cancer, also after a five-year battle with the disease. Dixie is a mother of one son and has six grandchildren. Now, Sammy and Dixie have been married for almost 10 years. Tim was a Vietnam veteran as well as, an inter- as well as in entertainment. He was an entertainer. So he often appeared at events where Sammy was speaking. Although Sammy and Dixie first met in the 80s, they didn't really forge a relationship until after their spouses were ill. They exchanged emails, sharing contacts, knowledge, and strategies. And we'll find out how one thing led to another, but love was soon to unexpectedly bloom. Welcome to the show, Sam and Dixie. And Sam, let me take a minute to thank you for your service to our country. It's been an honor to serve, ma'am, and our job isn't done yet. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Sarah Goldberger, who we've heard from before, our Senior Director of Programs at the Cancer Support Community. So, Sammy, I'm going to start with you. So, you are a veteran and a decorated war hero, and I can't even begin to fathom the things that you've lived through and seen in Vietnam. I'm curious to know, did any... Did anything that you had previously experienced in any way prepare you or help you cope with your wife's cancer diagnosis? Well, you would think that going through what a soldier goes through of seeing his brothers get killed around him and how you deal with it would help you prepare in some way, but it it did not. I don't think there is any way that you can prepare for it. You know, you just handle it and do the very best you can, uh, keep loving, and and keep moving on. That's the only thing. You know, That's the experiences in Vietnam did not help me deal with Peggy Joe's passing. It just didn't. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like, especially towards the end of life, that there's um, a lot of activity, um, you know, a lot of doctor's appointments and patients coming or people coming and going to help with the patient and uh, support the family. There are a lot of tasks that need to be done. And then, you know, after you lose someone like Peggy Joe, everyone goes back to their quote unquote normal lives. You know, was that your experience? And, and talk to us about what that was like after everyone had, had left. Well, yes, ma'am. During, during the time period that Peggy was sick, we had wonderful support because we took, I took Peggy to Mayo Clinic. I took her to the clinics in, in New York City. We went to Florida, every place that they said that they had a, a new angle on how they could control and possibly even eradicate the cancer in her, in her system, we would go. I mean, that's what you do. And the support was just fantastic. When Peggy passed and everybody said, you know, came to the funeral services and said goodbye, and then it was like they stepped out of my life. I mean, not totally, but it just, when when I needed it, when I needed their love and support the most, it just kind of seemed like they were relieved that they didn't feel they had to do it anymore, and I don't know how to explain that, but it was just, here was this big hole in my heart, and everybody abandoned me. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't abandon me, but when when I needed them the most, they weren't there to support the way they had been the previous five years. Do you understand? I Sure, sure. I, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. And Dixie, was it the same way for you? It was similar, but a little bit different. Um, five years is a very long time to be sick. And we had great support at the various hospitals and um, and we had to, I was very involved with my church family. I had my kids live next door, had lots of neighbors that cared that would come and care for our pets when we were gone. So we had great support. And then when Tim passed away, it was the people that hung around and still wanted to help you were people that had been through the same experience. And it seemed like others who have never lost um, a, a close relative, a husband or a wife, they just didn't know what to say. And I don't think that's really a fault. It's just that they, they thought if they talked about Tim, it would just renew the grief. And I wanted to talk about Tim all the time. I'd had a need to. And most people didn't understand that. But the close friends, my my best friend who lived um, a thousand miles away, called every single day. And, and she was an absolute blessing in my life. She had never lost anybody, but she understood. And so that's a... That is a very hard time to go through if you feel like you're all alone. Mm-hmm. And, and what would you say was the, hard, the hardest or the most difficult adjustment that you had to make? I think that, well, when your spouse is ill for that long with cancer, the whole dynamics of your marriage changes. The decisions that you made together eventually I had to do by myself. Um, And I know that Tim felt so bad because he couldn't make those decisions anymore. His concentration was trying to get well. So 
um, I felt like I became the the leader of the family instead of being um, equal. After he passed away, um, and everybody was gone, and I it, just a for instance, I went to the grocery store the first time. We had done everything we could on nutrition. I studied every single thing I could get my hands on. And I think you have to be your own best advocate, whether it's your spouse or yourself, when you're dealing with cancer. So I studied every treatment. Um, But the nutrition was the big thing that really helped him. It just gave him a better quality of life. We did juicing. I even, when he ended up with a stomach tube and they said, well, you put new, like Ensure, one of those drinks, I did juicing right through his stomach tube. Our oncologist um, wrote me a note after Tim passed away, and she said that the nutrition was the very best thing. We have conventional medicine and alternative medicine, but the nutrition was the big thing. So I go to the grocery store after he passed away, and I get in, started down the aisle, and I just stopped dead in my tracks, and I thought, I don't know what to buy. I had... It was all about organic food, about everything that was nutritious, nothing that had a chemical in. And I just stood there. I didn't know what to do. So I went to the frozen foods and bought ice cream and drumsticks and Dove bars. And then I went to the bakery and bought all the sweet rolls that I wanted, headed for the checkout, and I got almost to the checkout line. I thought, oh, my gosh. So I went back and bought a head of cauliflower. (laughs) That lasted about two weeks, and then I got back on to nutrition again. But there's so many adjustments, and that just sounds so minor. But it's like your whole life is like you're just, you have to start all over again. It was not so difficult to make all the financial decisions because I had been doing that. Um, A big adjustment for me is that we had five years of medical treatments, so I I had three jobs for a while just to pay off medical bills, Mm -hmm. which was probably good for me because I didn't have time to think. Mm -hmm. And so your whole life just changes in in a way that you really, nobody kind of prepares you for that. So you you stumble through the best you can, and um, you just have to go day by day and relearn how to live. Mm -hmm. And Sammy, at the time, for you, you know, did it seem to you that anyone understood what you were going through? Did you, you know, reach out to anyone for, for help or support, or did you cope in a different way? Well, I tried to be the, the big, strong dude that everybody thinks I am, and... Mm -hmm. It wasn't working well for me. Peggy and I had spent a great deal of time of actually talking about after she passed, and she made me promise that I would find someone. She knew that I'm I'm not an alone-type person, and she made me promise her. She said, now, Sam, don't. Mm-hmm. 
We are going to run to a quick commercial break. When we come back, I'd like to continue our conversation about loss, love, and life with Sammy and Dixie Davis, and we will hear some um, some very concrete ways in which you guys were able to move forward. And Sammy, to your point, follow um, follow Peggy's instruction to to move forward. So this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we'll be right back with more after this quick commercial break. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. 
Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Celgene and ASI. I'm Linda House, your guest host today. I'm standing in for Kim Tebaldo, the president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. And today we're getting some deep and meaningful insights about loss, love, and life from Dixie and Sammy Davis. And later in the show, we'll be joined by Sarah Goldberger, Senior Director of Programs at the Cancer Support Community. As background, Dixie is a retired interior decorator, and her husband, Tim, passed away in 2000 after a five-year battle with cancer. Sammy is a Medal of Honor recipient. His wife passed away from cancer, his wife Peggy, in 2004 after a five-year battle. Dixie and Sammy have now been married for nearly 10 years. We appreciate you being here to share your story with us today. It's an honor to be here, ma'am. I've I've been reading Isabel Inyende's memoir, The Sum of Our Days, which is written as a letter to her daughter, Paula, who died tragically 13 years before she wrote um, the book. You know, what's abundantly clear to the reader is that Paula might not be physically with them, but she is still very much a part of their family. You know, for example, one of the stories in the book is uh, when the family moves to a new house, there's a concern that Paula's spirit might not move with them. Hmm. You know, it really made me think about your journey, both yours and both Sammy and Dixie, both of your journeys. And, you know, Dixie, you at one point has, you know, have said and, and, and have written that you put the loss of Tim beside you, not behind you, but beside you, which I thought was very careful and um, meaningful language. Can you explain uh, your thinking around that? Yes. Well, you have to, as I said earlier, you have to make a decision to move forward. You have to make a decision to live again. And if you're so consumed with grief, that you can't move forward. And just to elaborate uh, just a tiny bit, people say that, oh, in a year you're going to be fine. Well, I don't agree with that. Everybody has their own time to grieve. It may take five years, may take one, may take a month. Who, uh, that's a very personal thing. But you, you can't move forward if it's in front of your face all the time. I put it beside me. And when people say, I, I put it behind me, I don't think that's true. I don't think that it's, Tim has got a very special place inside my heart. And Sam and Peggy have the same thing. We talk about them constantly. And we know that they're around us. We just always have that feeling. But... By putting it beside me, I can just carry him along right beside me. It doesn't impede my forward progress, and it doesn't mean that I forgot about him because you will never forget. You just need to put it in its proper place. Mm-hmm. And, and Dixie, I'm just going to stick with you for a second. Did you think that you would ever marry again, or how did you imagine your life would be? I never thought I would marry again. I was a grandma. I had all these grandkids, and I was abs- I had no interest in any other men. Tim was an absolute character. He was a musician, so and he was like partly crazy, and, and we'd say that just really in a very sweet way. But he was a character, and I knew that nobody would ever measure up to him. So I was content to spend my the rest of my life as a grandmother and being very involved with 
family and friends, my church. So, no, I, I, I had guys that would ask me out occasionally, and I would just use my standard response, I'm just not ready yet, which was a lot kinder than saying, no, thanks, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sammy, you, you alluded to uh, a little bit earlier in the, in the uh, previous segment that uh, you and Peggy had talked about her wish for you to live a full life after after she passed. Could you just say more about those conversations? And then um, I would love it for you to share with our listeners the story about your telephone ledger. Yes, ma'am. Well, in Peggy and I's conversation, she made me promise that I wouldn't just sit at home and, and do nothing, that I would continue on with my life. And when I asked her, I said, well, how long should I wait? And she said, well, 30 days. And I said, well, now you're teasing. She goes, well, kind of, but I don't want you just sitting at home and, and doing nothing. I want you to take care of yourself and, and live life to the fullest. You know, you've got three kids, and, and at that time we had like nine grandkids. And so I said, okay, honey, I'll, I'll do what I can when I can. So we continued on, and life is good. It wasn't until... I was rearranging my desk. I get a lot of work. I'm on the road 200-plus days a year traveling and speaking, and people are always calling and asking if we can be here or be there. And I try to keep all their names in a phone ledger, uh, where they're from, what they wanted, and the date. And I was moving. I have a stack of books that are like that, actually. And I was moving the books on my desk. I'm a stacker, but I'm a neat stacker. <laughs> and when I picked the books up, one a, a yellow post-it note fell out of one of the books, and it landed upright on the desk, and it was in Peggy Joe's handwriting, and it said, call Dixie, and had Dixie's phone number. So I sat down, and I, and I called Dixie, just like Peggy Joe had asked me to. So we talked for, as I remember, about an hour and a half, and we talked about grief and how we were handling it. And uh, We talked about Tim. We talked about Peggy Joe. And that one phone call, uh, I called every three or four days, as I remember, and I asked her if she was going to be going to the Skidmore Freedom Festival, which is in Skidmore, Missouri. And she said no. And I said, well, I would appreciate it if you would think about coming. Uh, we were going to do a tribute to Tim on stage at the festival, and I wanted Dixie to be there. So to make a long story short, she ended up coming, and that's where we had re-met. We had not actually seen each other in at least 12 years, maybe 15 years. Uh, we'd talked on the phone a lot, but that's where we got reintroduced, and that's where I fell in love with her. That's a great, that's a great story. And, you and don't Dixie, lose till you quit trying. That's right. That's right. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Dixie, I know that you also have uh, a story that I'd like for you to share with our listeners um, about the way Tim was sure before his passing that his friends looked after you and you didn't find out until years later. Could you share that story with us? I'd love to. Um, one of his, his good fishing buddy, Jeff, um, they were out, they would go out in the boat and fish at Lake Fork. We lived in Texas. And... Um, Jeff would call me all the time just to say, how you doing, and is there anything that you need, um, just, just in general conversation. I didn't find out for at least a year that Tim had asked him to make sure that I was okay. 
and I can hardly even talk about it now. It still is very moving. Another one of his friends, one of his music buddies who lived in our little hometown, I didn't find out for, I bet, five or six years that he asked John to look after me, too. And so I think it, I think he didn't ever tell me that because I always thought he was going to get better. And at some point, he just knew that he wasn't, and he wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay. So, you know, you find out things like that years later, and it still it just makes you love them all the more for caring so much that they would ask their friends to just keep track and make sure that I had everything I needed. They sound like incredible, incredible people, and it sounds like you all are, are blessed to be um, encircled by wonderful family and friends. We think that, we always have to kind of laugh because Tim and Sam were friends many, many years, and one of, uh, one of the other singing buddies of Tim's said that if Tim had to choose anybody for you to marry, he would have chosen Sam. Is that right? Yes. So I don't know. Maybe they did have a hand in in getting us together because both Tim and Peggy seemed to have message messages for us after they passed away. Hmm. So can you say more about how your family and friends responded to your budding romance that took place in Missouri? I think they were shocked at first because they didn't think I'd ever be interested in another guy. My my son, Tony, was just a little reluctant because he said, Mom, I've been watching after you for four straight years. I don't know if I'm ready to have another man step in. And then they met Sam, and they fell in love with him instantly. Our friends and neighbors, and Sam told me this like after it happened, because I didn't really see any of this happen. <laughs> One of um, uh, Tim's best friends uh, gave Sam, like, the dad speech, like, what are your intentions? <laughs> and then one of my best girlfriends, she's like 5'2 on a really good day. Sam's over six foot, and she's up there poking him in the chest and saying, if you don't take good care of her, I'm going to kick you in the rear end. And so they were all very protective of me. I think they realized that Kim and I had been through some tough times with his cancer, and they wanted to make sure that whoever I chose, that they were going to treat me right. So I loved it that my family and friends did that, but I loved it even more that they did it behind my back. (laughs) (laughs) And Sammy, how about your family and friends? How did they respond? My friends handled it extremely well. They... All, all, most of my friends knew knew Tim very well, also, so that was not a problem there. Uh, unfortunately, my children didn't view it the same way that I viewed it, and they uh, they did not treat Dixie kindly. And it's been ten years now, and we're still working on it. It's getting better, but we've still got some some inroads to make on that. Mm-hmm. Well, and we'll hear from Sarah a little later about some tips to, to help with, with family and friends um, as you transition into a new stage uh, in your life. So I would encourage our listeners to stay tuned. Yes, um, we have about two and a half minutes left before we have to go to a commercial break. And, you know, Dixie, either one of you can answer this question, but uh, the two of you are so open and frank about your experiences with love and with loss and 
how you've you know come together and 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 you know revisited uh, moving forward with your life, um, and you've really made it a personal mission to speak out. You know, can you just let our listeners know why is this so important to you, and what is the message that you hope that um, our listeners and and those to whom you speak um, hear? Well. It- I'm even writing a book on this subject because we travel so much and speak to so many people. And you'd be amazed at how many people are going through the very same thing that we did, and they just don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. So I think our job is to give people hope, to let them know that there is life again, even when you're at your very darkest moment, that someday that sun is going to shine And you're going to look back and wonder, how did I ever get through that? But we need to give details to others so they know that, well, they went something through, they went through something that was even different than me. So if they can get through it, maybe I can do it too. You want to add anything to that, Sam? I think it's important for everyone to know that open up your heart and let God in because that will help soften the blow and and fills your heart with love again. And that's what's important, that you keep love in your heart. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. And Sammy and Dixie Davis, thank you so much for being with us today and speaking with us honestly and candidly about your experiences. I know that it'll help and encourage and inspire, inspire our listeners, which is exactly what you want. Dixie, I hope you stay in touch with us as you finish your book. We would love to have you back on the show and make sure that we tell our listeners and those in the cancer support community family all about it when it's available to them. I would love that. Thank you so much. We will stay in touch. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back with Sarah Goldberger to continue our conversation about life after a loved one dies right after this commercial break. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. 
created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Genentech and Morphotech. I'm Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community, standing in today for Kim Tibaldo, our President and CEO. And today we're talking about love, loss, and life. And we were just recently joined um, by a couple of very special guests, Sammy and Dixie Davis, who talked about their stories after each lost a spouse to cancer. And we are now joined by one of my favorite guests, Sarah Goldberger. Sarah is the Senior Director of Program at the Cancer Support Community. She's responsible for the development of new programs, special projects, and ensuring quality standards for program delivery across our affiliate network. Sarah has worked in the field of psychosocial oncology for the past 19 years and most recently was the Director of Program Support at Gilda's Club Worldwide prior to the merger. Previously, she had served as the Program Director for Gilda's Club Worldwide in Westchester for six years. She began her social work career at Calvary Hospital in the Bronx in New York, an acute care hospital for terminally ill patients with cancer. Sarah received her master's degree from Columbia University, where she was the Dean's Award Scholar in recognition of excellence in both academics and clinical work in the field. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. It's so nice to have you. It's great to be here, Linda. Thank you for having me again. You know, a few years ago, we had as a guest on the show the creator and executive producer of Showtime's The Big C, and she told us each year that the show would explore one of the five stages of grief. You know, I was always under the impression that the stages and their order was uh, was set, um, that there really wasn't um, a, a, a variability in that. But it seems like that's no longer the case. Is that the current thinking? Uh, it is, Linda. Um, you know, we certainly give credit to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who originated the concept of the um, five stages of grief. But as we have um, had more experience talking with people who've been bereaved and who have gone through this, um, and from some of the early research, we what we've found is that while the five stages do exist, and I should probably tell you what they are. Um, um, it's, it's that really um, strong feelings, um, it's um, disbelief, it's bargaining, it's um, acceptance. Was that five or was that four? I missed one. But um, what, it, what we found, though, is that um, People don't go through them sequentially. Um, that was the original theory, that people sort of move from this state of um, strong emotion and disbelief and anger, that was the one I forgot, um, through sort of bargaining and then acceptance. Um, but it turns out that what people experience is um, most people typically experience all five stages, but that's not necessarily the case for everybody. And also that people can um, move very quickly back and forth um, between the stages. So one minute you're feeling like very, very angry, 
um, and the next you're sort of feeling like, I, I understand that this happened and more accepting. Um, it's also possible, the research shows us, that people can feel more than one stage at the same time. Um, it's a very fluid process, unlike what was originally described by um, Kubler-Ross. Mm-hmm. And just, just so that, our, that um, our listeners are clear, I'm just going to repeat the five stages that you had mentioned. Yeah. Um, and, and as you indicated, these, these aren't necessarily um, experienced in order. But, the, but number one is denial and isolation. Number two is anger. Number three is bargaining. Number four is depression. And number five is acceptance. And I just wanted to take a minute and be clear about those. In case our listeners are experiencing any of those, they'll understand that that might be what they're experiencing. So thank you for covering that, Sarah. Yeah, thank you, know, you for clarifying. I, I'm sorry? Thank you for clarifying. Sure. Um, and, you know, uh, we, we hear the terms grief and bereavement sort of interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk about the difference in the two and, and you know, why there was a, prefer- a preference to speak um, about one in one way versus another? Yeah, sure. Um, I, when we talk about grief, um, I think we're talking about sort of a subset, a um, um, a piece of the bereavement experience. Um, grief is really um, used to define that very intense sorrow um, that people can experience after um, someone very close to them has died. And that period of, of grief, um, for some people, you know, may be very intense and long-lasting, and for other people, it may be very brief, um, or you may not experience that at all. Um, I think when we're talking about bereavement, we're talking about all of the feelings that may be associated with um, the death of someone close to you, and that can include things like um, relief, like, um, you know, anger, um, but not always that very intense Mm-hmm. Well, we, we've also heard the term anticipatory grief, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, with cancer and similar medical conditions, chronic um, or terminal medical conditions. You know, can you help our listeners understand what, what is meant by the term in anticipatory grief? Sure. Um, you know, in, in situations like a, a that, that Dixie and Sammy describe where they had five years of um, caring for someone who was diagnosed with cancer, and I also know this from my work in End of Life, that very often um, people, um, family members and friends, begin to understand that their um, family member or friend may not survive the diagnosis. And this is certainly true of other kinds of chronic, um, serious, life-threatening illnesses as well. Um, and so you may go through the stages that Kubler-Ross described before the actual death. You can be anticipating what's going to happen and, and feel very um, angry or very sad or try bargaining well um, if, if um, they just live until our child gets married or um, my grandson goes off to kindergarten, those kinds of things. And that's, I think, really what people mean when they talk about the anticipation of the event um, can often 
um, occur with these sort of long-standing um, illnesses. Mm-hmm. And, and what kind of resources are available to someone who might be feeling overwhelmed or frozen by, by these emotions? So certainly people um, in, in that anticipatory grief stage, um, but also after the death has occurred, um, there are lots of, of um, opportunities to get support. Certainly, you know, we heard from Dixie and Sammy about how, how, how family and friends supported them. And actually, in, in Dixie's case, even how her husband um, had sort of set things up, and, and Sammy's case too, before they died, um, that would be supportive of both of them. Um, the faith-based community, um, the um, social workers um, at um, where your family member is being treated are all available to you. Um, hospice has wonderful programs for people. Um, there is a lot of online resources for some people just reading and knowing um, that what they're experiencing is normal um, and that you know, other people are going through that. We heard that from Dixie and Sammy was very comforting to them. So lots of different ways that people can um, receive and um, uh, get help for these um, these strong emotions. Mm-hmm. I think well, it's, it's important to know that um, many people go through this experience, um, I think sooner or later everybody goes through this experience of um, having someone close to them die and... and um, Asking for and receiving help doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's normal and expected. Mm-hmm. Well, and we certainly at the cancer support community have a number of resources available to people, yeah. um, both online and through our helpline, and would be happy to help support anyone as they're, as they're going through this. Um, you know, and Sarah, as you know, uh, the programs offered at the cancer support community are all evidence-based. And I was just wondering if you are aware of... Um, current research or study that's helping to shed light on individuals' response to loss and ways in which they might cope? Yes. um, Interestingly, um, there has not historically been a lot of research in this area, um, but more recently, in recent years, people are beginning to to study um, the area of bereavement and loss. Um, Some of the things that we, we, as a bereavement and loss community are interested in um, looking at are trying to really get a handle on the differences between what's called complicated and uncomplicated bereavement. So um, the complicated bereavement are the people who you really see struggling over long periods of time, and there may be other factors that are contributing to this. So we'd like to know more about that so that we can identify um, you know, who are the people early on who may be vulnerable um, or at risk for these um, complicated bereavement reactions. Um, we're beginning to look at um, the different types of interventions and what seems to work for one person um, over another um, so that, again, we can um, begin to sort of, when people do um, reach out for help and assistance with bereavement, um, that we can begin to sort of structure for them a program that's going to give them um, the help that they need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I want you to hang on to that because we're going to pick that up as we open the next segment. But we have to take a quick commercial break, um, and then we'll continue our conversation about grief, bereavement, and life after a loved one dies with Sarah Goldberger. We will be right back. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Millennium and Amgen. My name is Linda House, the Executive Vice President for External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community, filling in today for Kim Tibaldo, the President and CEO, and your usual host of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we're talking about life after a loved one dies. And with us is Sarah Goldberger, who is the Senior Director of Program at the Cancer Support Community. Sarah, I wanted to just pick up on some of the conversation that we had in the last segment before the commercial break. And um, I think that there are a lot of us who really want to help when we see a friend or a relative hurting, but so many just don't know what to do. How can we really reach out in a useful way? Great question, Linda. And, you know, it, we, we tend to think it should be easy. We should all know what to say and all know automatically what to do. But we, both we and the person who is bereaved are not mind readers. And so I think the biggest single tip I can give people is to be open um, in your communications and allow for the other person to not get it exactly right the first time. Um, I, I also think that one of the biggest things that we hear over and over from people is just physical presence can be so helpful, especially in those first early days of bereavement. Just your physical presence can be incredibly supportive. Um, just sitting and being with the person um, who's had, the, had a death in the family or a close friend. Um, I said up at the um, beginning um, in response to one of your questions about the stages of grief that um, the bereaved often can flip very quickly between the stages or um, even be feeling multiple stages at the same time. And what that does is causes them to not respond um, in a way that, is, that, that someone might expect. 
So if, if you are talking with someone, and we hear all the time from them, can you believe that so-and-so said this to me? How insensitive. But in a different moment, in a different on a different day, that same comment that was made by that person maybe maybe have received very differently, right? Make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, you may get a reaction from somebody, and it's because they're 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 confused. They don't even know how to relate to what you're saying to them. Um, and at the same time, if you are the bereaved person, keep in mind that. What is the intent of the person um, who's trying to be comforting to you? Um, mm-hmm. And I would say in most, the major- vast majority of cases, they mean to be kind and compassionate. Do we get it right all the time? Absolutely not. So be, ki- you know, be a little bit aware of that on both sides. Mm-hmm. Sure. The, the, the emotions are magnified at this, mm-hmm. at this point in time and mm-hmm. sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what are some of the strategies for coping with the emotional impact of, of losing a loved one? Well, I think very often, um, so I've done a lot of bereavement groups in my um, career, and one of the things we hear so often from people is, I think I'm going crazy, or mm. is this crazy? Mm. And there's very little that I've heard over the years that sounds crazy to me. People do things that they think will bring them comfort. Things, and everybody is different. Um, you have to sort of think about yourself and who you are and, and sort of be solid in that, that this is right for me, even though you will get lots and lots of people telling you you should, you shouldn't. Um, I would say be, be, be wary of the shoulds um, and the should nots. Um, think about, do these make sense for me? And one of the biggest ones is um, you shouldn't make any major decisions for a year. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it sounds like good advice, but in this day and age, some of those decisions are beyond our control and we need to make decisions. You know, some of them are financial. If you're living in a house and, and you know, the, the covering the mortgage is becoming so impossible and stressful, then maybe you do need to make a quicker decision. And so uh, it's just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, you know, the shoulds, you should um, get rid of everything that reminds you of that person. Well, for some people, you know, that does work. It's extremely painful um, to see those reminders, whether it's clothing or, um, you know, their um, books or, you know, the night table that has their things on it. I think you have to be careful. I think for some people that's the right thing to do and for others not. Um, I think I think things that bring people comfort. Um, don't, if you're a friend or a family member of someone who's bereaved, don't forget to talk about the person who died. Um, sometimes it's almost, you know, a couple, a month or so after they died, it's like they never existed, and that can be painful for people. But again, check in with the person who's bereaved and say, you know, is it? how does it feel to talk about them? Mm-hmm. And, and we've got about three minutes before the close of the show, Sarah. So, you know, a couple of things that I think would be really helpful to our listeners to hear. How, how does somebody, number one, decide that they need to have support of others? 
And then how would someone decide if they would like to have one-on-one support, if they would like to be a part of a support group, if they would just like to be a part of a networking group? Mm-hmm. Um, really great question. I, I think that everybody needs support um, at, at the point of bereavement and how that happens. You know, some of us may get enough from our friends and family, co-workers, our faith-based community, and some of us need, may need a little bit more help. And I would say that... If you're struggling, if you're, you're um, feeling angry all the time or you're crying at moments when you wish you wouldn't, you know, in your performance review with your boss, if you burst into tears, maybe that's not the place you feel comfortable doing that. That can be a sign that you need some additional help. What kind of help really depends on the person, and I would say try something. Um, some people feel, and Dixie and um, Sammy alluded to this, that, that being around other people who had been through a similar experience was extraordinarily helpful. And if you think that would be you, um, then seek out those people. Maybe it's other friends of yours who've had a loss of a parent or the loss of a spouse, um, but it could also be through a support group. Um, we generally say, if you think you're interested in a support group, try it three times before you make a decision. Um, it may be that you're more comfortable talking one-on-one with somebody, and in that case, maybe you want to try and find a counselor, either through hospice, through the cancer support community, through local organizations, your, um, your, someone from your faith-based community. I think um, you just have to try it, and if it's not right, try again. Um, bereavement support is very um, important and can really help. And one of the things that we always say about the cancer support community is that there's not really a right or a wrong decision. There's a right decision for you. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. important to, to work through that. Sarah, thank you so much for talking with us today and telling us about how we can cope with the loss of someone that, that we've, we've loved. And there's um, a lot more ground that we can cover, and hopefully we will have you back on another show and we'll pick up right where we have left off. Thank you. I would love that. Yeah, I'd like to just make sure that our listeners know that um, we have a cancer experience registry, and for those who have lost a loved one, we will be in the fall of 2014 launching a cancer experience registry for caregivers. So it is an opportunity for caregivers to share with us their experience so that we can uh, develop programs and services that would be helpful to them. So please stay tuned. It's been my pleasure to have you join us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Linda House, Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community, filling in today for Kim Tebaldo, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. As mentioned earlier in the show, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and telephonic support. For more information about our programs, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org or call us at 888 793 Also, if you have a suggestion, please email us. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, email us at news at cancersupportcommunity.org. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.